0: Hello my name is Tom Boone and
1: I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying podcast where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week.
1: Coming up today we'll see what JetBlue and American Airlines had to agree to to get their partnership approved by the DOT and Tom will reveal which airline ordered the very last 747s to ever be built.
0: Joe will give us an update on Norwegian, while I'll look at what's happening with Emirates fleet right now.
1: Finally, we'll take a look at how many A380s Qatar Airways is planning to fly in the future.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I wanted to let you start this week, Joe.
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to. So the big news last week really was um, the JetBlue and American Airlines partnership. Now, it's not new news at all, but there's been some contention across the pond um, with this whole tie up. So both Mm. Spirit Airlines and Southwest came out with concerns about the tie up. Um, And the main issue was that it would result in too much presence at key New York airports. So, for example, Spirit said that in the New York airports, American Delta and JetBlue combined would have a share of 90 percent, over 90 percent, in fact, of New York departures. So Hmm. effectively, they'd be running a monopoly on many routes and markets. Um, Southwest's concerns were slightly different. It was more about what would happen in the future. Um, Vasu Raja, who is um, American Airlines' route guy, um, Mm. apparently said in an interview that the airlines could be partnering a bit more deeply than its press releases and filings had indicated so far. Um, The comments that he made implied that JetBlue could be coordinating service and pooling slots and facilities at some of the key airports, including LaGuardia. Um, and there was another concern also over the New York, Los Angeles market, because Roger had stated that JetBlue could help catch Americans coach customers that were spilling over while letting American remain the corporate shuttle on that very lucrative route.
0: Hmm. So,
1: uh, you know, a number of issues, really. But nevertheless, at the end of last week, the partnership got its approval by the DOT. However, it wasn't without some sacrifice, let's say. Um, for a start, JetBlue has had to agree not to exit any of its non-stop, non-seasonal services that it was serving as of February last year, but mm. um, Interesting. There were also some really strict limitations on the communication between the two airlines. So they'll be, they will be communicating obviously and cooperating on their schedules and network planning out of New York area. Um, yeah. But their discussions must remain limited to the scope of what's being called the Northeast Alliance or NEA agreement. And any other meetings or teleconferences between the two airlines must be conducted with in-house or external legal counsel. So, you know, the DOT is taking this really seriously and really keen not to let them become some sort of uh, monopoly in the area. Um, There's also some strict reporting criteria. And most importantly, they've had to sacrifice some slots at the key airports. So, Um, For example, at New York JFK, American Airlines is divesting four slot pairs, JetBlue will divest three slot pairs initially. And at Washington National, American's divesting four, and JetBlue's divesting two. So hmm. not a huge number, um, but the caveat there is that if American and JetBlue do not meet their capacity targets, they'll need to divest even more slot pairs. Um, so the capacity targets themselves were really interesting. Um, what the DOT said is that at JFA and LaGuardia, uh, JFK sorry, and <laughs> LaGuardia, American and JetBlue's capacity next year must be 105% of their combined capacity from recent years by 2023 and 24 it's got to be 110% and by 2025 it's got to be 115% so mm-hmm. i i don't see really any issue with them reaching those targets but I think it's the first time certainly I can remember that there's been such strict criteria placed on an approval of a partnership. So I think it shows just how important this is and how much dominance those two airlines could have over the uh, very lucrative kind of New York, Boston area. Mm. Um, So generally... Yes, approval has been granted, but the continuation of that approval really hinges on the partnership being a success. So, you know, fingers crossed they can come out of it well. And I think yeah. uh, I think they really do stand a good chance of it being a very, very good partnership.
0: Mm. Well, it's fingers crossed for them and fingers crossed for everyone else, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Mm. Tom, you wanted to tell us about the Queen of the Skies um, and the very last planes to be ordered. Who got them?
0: I did want to talk about that. And um, so last week we were treated to what will likely become the last order for the Boeing 747 because Boeing's already scheduled to stop building the Queen of the Skies next year. And there's 11 that are still due to be built according to the order book from the end of 2020. So, of these 11, 8 were due to go to UPS, and a further 3 were bound for Volga Dnepr. However, it seems that there's been a shuffle in the Boeing order books. So, while Boeing isn't expected to be building any more 747s, at Air is now expecting the last four 747s that will roll off the production line ever. Wow. So, so are I these mean,
1: like, 400s, or are they the eight?
0: No, these are the Dash 8 freighters. So um oh. I mean, it's it's interesting, though, because over the past half a century, uh, the 747 has become an iconic piece of aviation industry, as you and I well know. But we've seen recently the Queen of the Skies reign sort of drawing to a close, especially in the passenger sphere, you know, like BA, KLM, Qantas, many others. They've all been retiring the type. Um, But with this order, Atlas Air has really cemented itself into the 747's history because not only is it taking delivery of the last 747 to be built, it's also the largest 747 operator right now, as I think you discovered this morning.
1: I did. Um, It was very interesting to look at who was operating the 747 right now, and uh, the top three, in fact, are all cargo airlines. So I think that's uh, very telling of the current situation.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, they've got fifty three aircraft right now, and that's both freighters and passenger variants. And we recently saw three of the... Uh, Virgin Atlantic 747s going over to them. Yeah. But it's it's the 747 is like a really special aircraft to Atlas Air because when the airline was started 28 years ago it was started with a single 747. So it's 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 nice to see that they're sort of committed to the 747 and this was even noted by the uh, Stan Deal who's the president and CEO of the commercial aircraft arm of Boeing because when the order was announced, he said the 747 will forever hold a special place in aviation history, and uh-huh. we're honored by Atlas Air's long-standing commitment to the airplane. And then he went on to say Atlas Air began operations 28 years ago with a single 747, so it's fitting that they should receive the last 747 production airplanes, ensuring Very that the queen book-ended. of Skies plays a significant role in the global air cargo market for decades to come.
1: That's good. And they do, don't they? These 747 Mm. freighters last a lot longer than our uh, passenger variants. And uh, Mm. I found it really interesting, actually. I was looking into who had the most 747s ever. And uh, I I kind of assumed it was going to be someone like British Airways or maybe Pan Am. And actually, they're way down the list because the biggest operator ever of the 747 was Japan Airlines. I'd have never have guessed that. (laughs) No, I
0: wouldn't have guessed that either. But, you know, when you are mentioning it kind of makes it make sense. But it's not something that I would have thought, oh, you know.
1: No, I was surprised they had a hundred and eight altogether oh, wow. um they began with the one hundred and they had all the variants in fact um over the years and including of course the special domestic versions with mm. the increased capacity and lower fuel capacity and the the seven four seven four hundred d had the highest capacity of all, and that would yeah. do six hundred and twenty four people. Can you imagine I, That's I just insane. can't
0: imagine that there would be such demand for yeah <laughs> for this you know like I I always look at the flight schedules in Japan and I'm blown away by how these single routes will have like maybe 20 flights a day and it's not far yeah. and it's it's
1: And they it's, get good load factors too. I yeah. think uh, I'm dying to go to Japan actually and I think mm. you know it's takes kind of people densification to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, you,
0: like, we had the incident a couple of weeks back where it was a, seven, a 777, and it was only flying for about an hour, but it had to, like, the whole flight was one or two hours for a 777.
1: Wow. <laughs> It's a whole different world and mm. uh, one I'd love to explore in the future when uh, the world stops being quite so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about um, an airline that's a bit closer to home and hasn't operated any seven four seven, sadly, but uh, we've been tracking the progress of Norwegian quite closely. Um, as our listeners will no doubt know, they entered the pandemic as one of the most debt burdened airlines in the world and mm. there was a lot of question marks. Even before COVID, there were a lot of question marks over its future and, you know, the pandemic has really kind of um, brought that to the forefront. Um, so, It's been undergoing what's called um, Irish examinership because part of its business is in Ireland and that seems to be a much kinder way of dealing with what is essentially bankruptcy. Um, Mm. And it's going through a restructuring plan and and last week we got notification of what that restructuring is going to look like. Um, And it's bad news for people that want to take transatlantic hops on the cheap because they're not going to be flying long haul anymore. Um, Mm. Norwegian will be returning to its roots as a European short haul airline. Um, In this year, 2021, they're looking to operate around 50 narrow-body aircraft. Um, They're hoping to increase that up to about 70 next year.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, And it wasn't a complete surprise because... I think we'd noted on Simple Flying the week before that they'd flown at least six of their Dreamliners to Ireland to be repossessed by the leases. Um, So over the coming weeks, we'll no doubt see the rest of the fleet leaving. I'm not entirely sure how many they've got at this precise moment in time, but uh, they won't be flying them with passengers anymore, which is a a bit of a shame. It is sad. Um, Hmm. I think, you know, they were a game-changing airline and lots of others followed in their footsteps and they've all kind of ended up going the same way. But uh, as I say, this is all about, raising some 5 billion kroner, which is about $590 million under the restructuring process. Mm. Um, and the CEO, Jacob Schramm, said that the short-haul network has always been the backbone of Norwegian and it will form the basis of a future resilient business model. Um, so what he's saying is local, low-cost long-haul isn't working. It, mm. it never has. <laughs> and, uh, and that means, sadly, that there'll be lots of cuts to staffing as well. So... All their staff in the UK, France, Italy, Spain, and the US um, are going to be laid off. Um, the, the figures I've seen, it's about 1,000 or 1,100 UK crew that are going to be made redundant. And there's similar numbers expected in the other countries. So, mm. you know, really sad times for the Norwegian long haul crew. Um As we've spoken about many times in the past, low cost on the long haul is a very difficult model to make work. And Michael O'Leary said it never works. And it seems that he could be right. You know, as I say, other airlines followed in the footsteps of Norwegian such as Wow and Primera. And we've watched them all go under. So Norwegian, it seems, is going the same way. Um, But thankfully, it looks like it will be staying with us as an airline. And hopefully this is enough to save the airline. But for us who enjoyed a a budget trip across the Atlantic, it doesn't look like that will be happening anymore. So sad times.
0: Well, I mean, until JetBlue swoop in with their new...
1: Well, of course, that's exciting (laughs) times. (laughs) Let's hope they can make low cost and long haul work for them.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Well, I wanted to talk about somebody that may not be low cost, but they definitely make long haul work. And that was Emirates, um, because they've sort of been quite vocal about their fleet this week. Um, They had a big interview with Reuters and the airline's president, Tim Clark, and it seems that sort of all Clark wanted to speak about was the fleet, because firstly, he touched on the continued delay to the 777X. Yeah. So... We already know that the type likely won't join the Emirates fleet until 2023, but sure. Clark suggested that the first aircraft might not even join the fleet until 2024. Wow! Um, he told Reuters, "It's it's a question of when the aircraft is going to be completed and certified and offered for entry to service. That could be 22, 23, or it could be even longer." Wow! So, yeah, I mean, he hasn't said. 2024 but he's hinting there that it could he's be not
1: expecting it anytime soon yeah
0: um which is a shame because i just i really want to see this blade um,
1: <laughs> i think we just, all
0: do yeah the folding wingtips with lufthansa please <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely but i mean while that that is quite a downer it wasn't all bad news Um, he also told the publication that if things go as planned he hopes that emirates will be able to operate his entire fleet by the end of the year
1: Oh, that's good. That's very so, optimistic.
0: Well, yeah, in terms of the seven, uh, the 777 fleet, that's not huge, as 86% of the sevens are already flying. However, oh. it becomes a giant goal when you look at the Airbus A380 fleet, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: super jumbo humour there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so as we mentioned last week, I love nothing more than a good spreadsheet on an evening. Um, so... <laughs> This week, I trawled through data from flightradar24.com for each of Emirates' A380s. And it wasn't the hardest thing in the world because a lot of them have been... um, I mean, it took maybe an hour, an hour and a half, but um, many of the aircraft you could just click over because they haven't flown since they were grounded. Right. Um, But it's not perfect because for some reason, the airline's second newest aircraft, EVM, uh, keeps showing up as a Cirrus SR22 so How
1: bizarre. <laughs> it must be a reissued registration or something. Yeah,
0: I think so. I think it's a transponder issue, but um well anyway, um my hours of work showed that 17 of the airlines A380s are now active and mm. assuming that no more A380s are going to be retired in the next year, this means that 100 Emirates A380s remain grounded for the time being and Good grief. you know most airlines right now are showing that resuming operations with a fleet of 10 A380s is difficult. So,
1: yeah, you know, let alone to- 100. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I mean it, it's it's for Emirates. They don't have much choice once the whole 777 fleet is reactivated. It's either you don't reactivate any more aircraft or it's the A380. Yeah. Um but I do kind of wonder if active means that each one will be flying once a week rather than where we're at now where each one is flying almost daily. Uh but yeah, you know the, it that doesn't sound like a very economical thing to be doing, you know.
1: I mean there was a there's the whole issue of who's going to pilot them as well because it was yeah. I think November last year they laid off a huge proportion of their A380 pilots for a period of 12 months so hmm. you know you've got to think that it's going to be right at the end of the year if they do bring these back because they
0: don't have enough crew for them right now I mean I'm sure a lot of or a, a decent portion would come back earlier given the chance
1: Yeah, I guess so. I'm I'm sure they're banking on the vaccine and things looking up by the end of the year. Yeah, they're definitely. Everything that's going on does point towards a, a quicker recovery than perhaps some of us were thinking this time Um, six months ago. So yeah, fingers crossed that they've got that Mm. right. But uh, do you want to hear about some more A380s in the Middle East? (laughs) I
0: always want to hear about A380s, Joe. it's my life. I know you do,
1: Tom. (laughs) So uh, yeah, it's not great news from another A380 operator in the Middle East. Okay, Um,
0: not great news. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: going to make you listen anyway. (laughs) So um, Qatar Airways, they don't have a huge fleet. They only have 10 A380s, but Mm. that's rather standard across the industry if you compare it to other A380 operators aside of Emirates. So um, it's, a, it's a fleet that hasn't been anywhere for quite some time. And the CEO, Akbar el be- Baker, Baker, I'm never sure if that's Baker or Baker, he hasn't been quiet about the fact that he doesn't like it anymore. Mm. Um, so it was, I think, a couple of months ago, he said it would be a while before we saw it back in operation for the airline. At, at one point, he said that airlines that were operating the A380 during the pandemic were economically, ecologically and politically irresponsible. Mm. Um, So lots of words from our CEO, Mr. Backer there. Um, But at Kappa Live last week, he put some numbers onto what we could expect to see coming back from Qatar. Um, When the A380 does resume flying, half of the fleet will stay on the ground permanently. Mm. Um, So he raised lots of concerns about the A380's environmental impact and its general efficiency. And he said before that um, the A350, particularly the a 350 1000 is one of the best aircraft for fuel efficiency I don't think that's a big secret it is a highly efficient plane Um, but then he went on to say they do they really enjoy it they went on to say that the A380 is one of the worst aircraft when it comes to emissions that's flying today Mm. so if and when the A380 does come back for Qatar it looks like he'll be looking at just a fleet of five Mm. and I don't really know what you can do effectively with a fleet of
0: just five A380s ANA makes it work with three
1: That's true. It's a very specific route though and I'm thinking that this is kind of the lines that he's thinking along. Maybe he's eyeing places like Heathrow and other slot controlled airports and Mm. you know just running some high capacity on those routes but uh, as Emirates has always said the A380 doesn't work very well in a small fleet and they always accused Air France of having this problem because they never bought enough and they have always Mm. said that the only reason they make it work so well is because they've got so many but uh, um, I guess with these more efficient planes in the fleet maybe they won't bring any back at all Um, although we've often said that at some airports it does make sense you know like I said Heathrow and the other really slot controlled airports but uh, as you'd say we have to wait and see
0: (laughs) watch this space
1: watch this space as always yeah so uh, I think that's about all we've got time for today Tom and uh, we hope you enjoyed our podcast and as usual we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com
0: For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye.